One of my favorite things, every now and then, um, when I take a break from work in the afternoon and I come up the stairs from my basement office, usually um, I'll slide into the pantry and grab a couple of chocolate chips if I can get away with it before my wife slaps my hand. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll break off a piece of cucumber or something for a snack. Uh, but every now and then I get halfway up those stairs and it hits the smell of fresh bread. There's just nothing like it. The whole house is filled with it right there. Just the smell itself makes my day. It's, it's beautiful. Kids, how many of you have a favorite smell? What are some of the smells that you love? Yeah. Flowers? Yeah. What, Marlena? What's that? Soup. Oh, sometimes my wife puts the, the pots like cooking all night and you get up in the morning and mm, somebody over here had one. Yeah. Chocolate. Spaghetti, yes. Open the door and nice spaghetti. Kira, yeah. What? Hot. Brownies. Oh, yeah. Manny? Cinnamon. Gideon? Hot chocolate. We all have these favorite smells, don't we? Smells are so nice. You know, one of the ones I love, I love going on vacation to somewhere warm because those places have different plants and different flowers and they just, they smell different. Um, another one I love is when you get high up into the mountains and the air is cool and it's that smell of sage and juniper and it's just fresh. Smells can be so amazing. Did you know that you can make God feel that way? It's kind of funny to think about, isn't it? You can give God that kind of warm, satisfying feeling that you get from your favorite smell by prayer. That's what he's teaching his people when he's telling about this altar of incense that they're supposed to build that we're going to look at today. Um, so let's just walk through this a little bit. Who can tell me the name of this special tent that God told Israel to build right in the middle of their camp? We've been talking about it for a while now. What's it called? Somebody shout it out. What? Tabernacle. The tabernacle. That's just a funny word, isn't it? We have the tabernacle picture put up there. So inside the tabernacle, what is that way at the back? For some reason, has a number one by it. Um, in its own little room at the back, holding, what is that? Okay, that's the tabernacle. It's the whole big tent. Do you want to know what the one thing in the back is? Yeah? It's where they worshipped. Morris, Maddie? The, what's the full name? Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, that's that one piece with the, with the angels on top and the poles in it. The Ark of the Covenant. That was this special piece of furniture. The tabernacle's full of pieces of furniture, not like couches or chairs. Um, but each of these, God was teaching His people something about Him, something about what His relationship with them would be like, what it would mean that they're, they're, they're His people and He's their God. And so the Ark of the Covenant was telling them, I'm going to cover your sin. They were to put the Ten Commandments inside. The, the Ten Commandments kind of reminded the people of God's holiness and how they were never able to keep the Ten Commandments. And they put the Ten Commandments inside the box and they put this, the mercy seat or the atonement cover on top of it. And it was God saying, I'm going to cover your sin. And when Jesus came and died on the cross, that's exactly what he did covered their sin, our sin. The next thing in the tabernacle um, that we talked about, kids, you guys were in with us last time that we talked about it. What is that hanging in front of or be between the Ark of the Covenant and the rest of the, the rest of the tabernacle? What's that called? Do you know? A curtain? It has a kind of a fancy name that we used. Do you remember what we called it? The, the veil. Yeah. But it's this big curtain that hangs there. Um, does anyone know what that was teaching them? What that was supposed to tell them about God? You guys remember that? That was a long time ago. What? Yeah, that they're separated from God, that they can't just approach God, right? And when Jesus came and died on the cross, what happened to that veil? Somebody know? What happened to the veil? Elijah. It tore in half. 
Jesus opened the way so that we could be with God, so we could come to his presence. Now, this next one on the, on the bottom there, on the bottom right, that's called the table of the showbread, or on it is called the bread of the presence. I like this one. The bread of the presence was God saying to his people, I want to have you over for dinner. I want to eat with you. I want to have time with you. I want to be together. God doesn't want people who just know the right answers or who, who just kind of do the right thing because they should. He wants people who want to come spend time with him, who love him, who want to be with him. And then last week we talked about this piece on the left-hand side um, with its funny branches, um, looks like a tree. Does anyone know what that's called? The golden lampstand. It's pretty fancy, isn't it? And the golden lampstand, God was saying, I'm going to be your light. When you come to me, I'll show you what's true and what's good and what's right. And, and then it looks kind of like a tree. And that was on purpose. It was to remind them of the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. And God was saying, when you come to me, I'm going to give you light and I'm going to give you life. Eternal life. So those are some pretty amazing things that God has already said through these different pieces of the tabernacle as God is kind of painting this, this picture for them, what it means that I'm your God. And today we're going to look at the last piece that's inside this tent. It's right there. The altar of incense. And God is saying, I love the smell of your prayers. Isn't that kind of funny? I'm going to take a closer look at it. Um, we're going to read the instructions that God gave Israel about this altar. We can leave that picture up there and the kids can kind of look at it. Um, those that can't read can see what we're talking about. Um, but turn your Bibles with me if you haven't already. Uh, Exodus chapter 30. We're going to look at verses 1 to 10. And this is a, this is a picture of what that altar would have looked like or our kind of best guess at it. Um, but let's, uh, let's read this together. Exodus 30, starting at verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and it shall be square. Two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. You shall make, it, you shall make a molding of gold around it, and you shall make two golden rings for it under its molding on two opposite sides of it. You shall make them, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is op- above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or burn offerings or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this tabernacle and how you have shown us who you are. And even today as we look back and see um, this beautiful picture of a God who wants to be with his people, a God who has made a way to cover our sin, to invite us into his presence to be with us in fellowship, to be our light and our life. God, it's humbling, amazingly humbling. And now to see a God uh, who loves our prayers and who invites us to come and talk with you. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes as we look at your word this morning, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, that we would be changed, that we would be challenged to grow, to seek you more and more Lord, that we would be a people who are faithful in prayer and walk with you closely. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this altar. 
It's made of acacia wood, like many of the pieces in the tabernacle, and then it's covered with gold. Beautiful. Not very big. Um, it was square on top, about a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and three feet tall. So I don't know, it's not, not very tall. Not a very big table. Uh, it was to have horns on the corner, like on the picture. That's kind of a funny little addition there. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Uh, and then this molding, a rim all the way around the top that kind of holds everything in. And, uh, and it's not clear. It's interesting the way it's said. If it has just two rings, one on either side, or if there's two rings on either side, these people decided it's probably two rings on either side, um, but maybe it was one. Uh, and these poles go through the rings, and that's how they carry it. Remember, they're traveling through the wilderness, and, and so this, this piece gets moved around a lot. That's how they carry it. And then uh, if we skip down a little bit to the bottom of chapter 30, um, we read about the incense that they were to burn on top of the altar. So chapter 30, look, look at verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, sacti and anica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part. And make incense blended as by a perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. And you shall beat some in a very small, some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy to the Lord. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off. From his people. So this was serious business, this incense that they were to make and to, and to burn on the altar. They weren't to use it anyone else, anywhere else. If anyone was to take it and make some like it, um, they, they were cut off. They were sent out. You, you can't be part of Israel anymore. And it was made of these different spices. Um, sakti. Anyone have sakti on them today? No, nobody? Didn't bring any? Um, we have some pretty good guesses, I think, at what this is. A little different people disagree a little bit, but it seems that this was um, the sap from a balsam tree. You ever go out in the forest and you see the, when like a spruce tree gets cut and it has that like golden sap that comes out and it gets hard and crystallized? You know what I'm talking about. That, it would have been something like that maybe. And they would take it and they would mix it with anica, which is a little trickier to understand. There's more debate about that one and what exactly it is. Um, it may have been a powder that you would get from scraping a, a clam shell from a certain clam that was found uh, in the Red Sea. Uh, galbanum was a brownish, very strong-smelling resin from a, a, a fern-like plant that grew all the way up by the Mediterranean Sea. And frankincense was a strong-smelling resin, again, from a boswellia tree uh, that grew in North Africa. So... These are not easy things to get. They would have been expensive. They would have had to either send people to go and travel there and get them, or maybe as people were traveling through, they could trade for these things. Um, but they were all to be ground down very fine and, and mixed together and mixed with salt, um, maybe to preserve it. Maybe it was more symbolic. Um, but that was the incense that they were to burn. Uh, kids, how many have, have seen incense burning? Did any of your moms burn incense? Wow. Just did, huh? Well, um, I brought some incense. So why don't you guys come up here? Kids, you come up here. This is a little pile of incense. Don't worry, it's not the same kind that they had. You see it? I'm going to try and light it, and we'll see if we can get it to burn. Come all the way around the back. It won't burn very much, but it'll make a little bit of smoke. Let's see. I need a hotter lighter. Is it starting to burn? Is yeah. it going? Doesn't look like it. A little bit. You can only really tell when the fire goes. Oh yeah, it's burning. See? Ready? Now watch the smoke go up. Well, that kind of looks cool. It looks like jelly. Oh, there it is. Do you hear the smoke going? Smell it. Can you smell it? If you've been up in the front, get a little sniff and then move to the back so some of the other kids can smell it. Does it smell nice? Now you're all going to smell funny. Did you get a sniff? 
All right, you can head back. You can head back to your seat once you get a little smell there. Careful, all the cords there. Uh oh, is it too strong after? So that was incense. I think their incense. Do I, do I need to put that out? Is anyone gonna be bothered by that? We'll just we'll just let our little tabernacle fill with incense here this morning. Um. So that's what this, this incense would have, would have been like. It kind of smoked there. And I think theirs probably burned better than mine. Oh, this is, this is doing pretty good now. Um, so they were to follow these instructions and build this altar and, and this incense. And actually, if we flip over to chapter 37 in Exodus, and we kind of skip ahead in the story a little bit, Chapter 37, starting at verse 25, here's what we read. They made the altar of incense, of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its breadth was a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. He made a molding of gold around it and made two rings of gold on it under its moldings on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he made the holy anointing oil also and the pure fragrant incense blended as by a perfumer. So how'd they do, kids? Did they follow the instructions? Seems to me like they did it right. They did exactly what God commanded them to do. So they have this altar and the incense, but what does that have to do with prayer? What does that have to do with prayer? Well, Incense was used as a picture of prayer. It was a picture of prayer. It was a metaphor. You guys got your fill-ins ready now? Don't get left behind. Think about the way that the smoke kind of wafted up into the air. That's like how our prayers kind of float up to God. And different verses in the Bible kind of pick up on this. David Uh, uses this imagery in in Psalm 141. He says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Uh, Luke 1.10, the story of Zechariah in the temple when when the angel comes and tells him that that John the Baptist is going to be born. Uh, He's there lighting the incense and it says that everyone gathered outside to pray as the incense was being burned. That's what they did. Revelation 5.8 talks about bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And and so it's this picture all through Scripture of incense being like our prayers. And and so God is teaching the people about prayer. And the first thing that, that the altar of incense teaches us about prayer is that God commands our prayers. He commands it. He tells them, build this altar. Go and do it. Make it. It's important. Put this in my tabernacle. And Aaron is commanded to burn incense on the altar. And did anyone catch, when is he supposed to burn it? Anyone catch the times? Morning and and night. Morning and night. Every morning, every evening. Verse 7. Aaron was to burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dressed the lamps. As he, lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. They were to burn it morning and evening, twice a day. Um, But think about that. Um, God wasn't telling his people, okay, I want you to stop and pray at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. You know, set your clocks, don't miss it. That's not the point. Um, That's more of like the way we use the phrase day and night. Right? What do we mean if somebody says, oh, that happens day and night? Maybe your neighbor's dog barks day and night. Does, does that mean he barks one time at lunch and one time at midnight? No. What do we mean? He barks all the time, right? Throughout the day, throughout the night. Um, that's what we're talking about. That's what God is saying. He's saying all the time. He says, light the incense day and night. And, and notice it's, it's to be a regular sacrifice to the Lord, a regular offering to the Lord. God commands that we pray all the time. Lots, constantly. Paul picks up on this. 
the same thing. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, I don't think he means that we should, that we should never talk to another person or read a book or do anything else because we're always praying, right? I don't think that's what he's telling us. Um, Paul didn't live that way. Jesus didn't live that way. Um, and, and I think we could get misled there. And, and I've, I've also heard people say that maybe what this means is that we should live our whole life with like an attitude of prayer. And I think that's good. I think that's good advice. But I think it runs the risk of missing what Paul's actually commanding and what the altar of incense was calling the people to. Um, it means we should pray a lot. Let your life be filled with prayer. And sometimes that means that kind of in the moment, God help me prayer. But more importantly, I think it means that we stop and actually talk to God and connect with Him regularly. And just like any command in the Bible, who's the, who's the best example of how to obey that command? Who do we look at? Sunday school kids. Jesus, right? He's the example. And what did Jesus do? He got up early in the morning, often to pray. Often he would slide away to a quiet place, away from everyone else, and, and pray. And remember the bread of the presence? God doesn't just want people um, to do the task, right? I, I hate the phrase, did you say your prayers? I don't know. It just rubs me like, say a prayer for. Actually pray. Don't just, don't just say a prayer, right? Actually pray. Actually talk to God. He wants you to spend time with him, to have fellowship with him, not just to say words. God commands that we pour out our hearts to him. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before the Lord. God is a refuge for us. We need to stop and pour out our hearts to God regularly. Really talk with him like you would a close friend. Tell him how you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're wrestling with, what you're scared about, what you need. And I, and I think it's important to realize God recognizes this is a sacrifice. Right? This is a sacrifice. It's not easy. I think there's a reason that this is called an altar. Right? It wasn't an altar of bread or altar of lamps, but it's, it is an altar of incense. That's why it has the horns on it. That's what those horns are about. They're, they're reminding us, they're pointing back to the, the bronze altar in the courtyard um, that we'll talk about next week where the sacrifices were killed. It's an altar. And the word altar actually means a place of slaughter. God is saying, when you come to me, you're going to have to give something up. It's going to be a sacrifice to pray. In regular prayer, we, we sacrifice our time, right? We have to stop doing other things to pray. We sacrifice our pride. We have to admit that I need God. I can't do this on my own. I'm not strong enough. I need Him. We sacrifice our privacy. It's not just me. We let God into every part of our life. Prayer is not easy. Prayer is a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that we're commanded to make regularly. Do you pray? Do, do you stop and really meet with God? Really spend time with Him in meaningful prayer as a regular practice in your life? Um, that's hard. That's, that's tough to do. I want to challenge you. If that's something that you're not comfortable doing, you haven't regularly been doing, this is, this is what I've been challenging myself in the last three weeks or so. Um, I have my regular list of prayers, the things that I want to pray for. Um, my, my wife and my kids and, and people in the church and things that God is doing and the things that I have planned throughout the day and a number of other things. I have my, my prayer list that I pray through. And that's great. I think that's important. But I need to also just spend time with Him. Right? I need to also just be with Him and, and have that time of spontaneous relationship kind of prayer. And so I said to my small group, I think it was three weeks ago, guys, I need to grow in this. And, and so I'm just going to take 15 minutes every day after my list of prayers is done um, just to open the Bible to a passage that, that God is speaking to me and let him kind of start the conversation and, and 
be with him there. And just setting that clock sometimes is so helpful for me. Maybe your brain works differently. Mine, if I set a timer for 15 minutes, then I don't have to think about how long I'm here. And I also don't just check out early. I just can kind of sit there and be with him. And, and I know on any given day, there's no day that is too busy that I can't take 15 minutes to just be with my God. I got to do it. And I needed help on that because it's tough. And so I told these guys, check in on me and push me on that. Hold me accountable. So I want to encourage you to try that. Maybe that's something you need to bring to your small group next week and say, hey, I'm in. Um, hook me up on that. I want you guys to ask me next week uh, or every day, hey, did you spend some time in prayer today? Um, God commands our prayers. And here's the cool thing. The altar doesn't just tell us that God commands us to pray. It doesn't just order us to come to him. It also tells us that he accepts our prayers. He accepts our prayers. Think about where this tabernacle was in, or sorry, where the, the altar was in the tabernacle. God gives it this prime real estate, this important position. Verse 6, you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. The altar of incense representing our prayers is as close to the Holy of Holies as you could get. It's as close to the Ark of the Covenant as you could be. And you can just imagine as the priests would light this incense, and I think their incense pile was a lot bigger than ours, and, and the smoke would go up and you could see the smoke going around and through the curtain into the Holy of Holies. Our prayers penetrate into the very presence of God. Into that place where God says, there I will meet with you. Don't take that for granted. God accepts our prayers. We so quickly think, well, of course God hears my prayer. Of course God listens to me. I mean, it's, it's me. Why wouldn't he listen to me? I'm so important. I'm such a, an, a, a big deal. Well, maybe he wouldn't listen to you because he is all-wise and infinite God who knows everything and needs nothing at all. And let's just get some perspective. There are seven and a half billion people in the world today, all of whom he created, who rebelled against him and dishonored him, including us. Why should God listen to us? Why should he listen to anything you say? If you had a friend that you trusted with all of your earthly possessions, maybe adults, you were away on a trip and you told your friend, hey, stay in my house. You need a place to stay? Stay in my house. Or kids, you said, can you take care of all of my precious toys that I love? And that friend burned your house to the ground, destroyed all of your favorite toys on purpose, and said, actually, I hate you. I don't like you. I don't want to be your friend anymore. And then a couple months later, that friend called you up and said, hey, I need a favor. <sighs> Are you going to listen? That's tough. That's, that's kind of the position we're in with God. He created us. He gave us this beautiful earth, and we sinned and, and destroyed it and, and brought death and, and, and suffering. And God doesn't do that to us. But we have to realize that's the place where we've sinned against God. It's an amazing thing that he accepts our prayers. John Bunyan, a great old Christian preacher, he's the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Um, he said this, The best prayer I've ever prayed had enough sin to damn the whole world. You think, wow, how terrible were this guy's prayers? No, he understood how terrible sin was and how his sin infected everything, even our prayers. And so as sinners, we, we can't approach God even in prayer. Our sin condemns us. His holiness won't allow it. But it's astounding then as we look at verse 10 when he says, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, on the horns of the altar of incense, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It's most holy to the Lord. 
So once a year on the Day of Atonement, they were to kill a sacrifice and they were to bring the, the blood in. And, and, and some of it they were to put on the atonement cover that, that talked about God would cover their sins. And some of it they were to sprinkle on this altar of incense. God is saying, I'll cover your sins so that you can come to me in prayer. I'll make a way. So we have to understand our, our prayers are accepted by God, but our prayers are only accepted by God because they're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So we only come to God in prayer because Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin. Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus... That's how we come into the holy place. So an unbeliever, someone who doesn't trust in Jesus, has not had his sin covered by the sacrifice of Jesus, they they might pray all day. They might call out to God for all kinds of things. and, and, And maybe it's right to say God hears them. He knows everything. He knows that they're praying. But they have no confidence that God will listen. They can't. They can't have a right to come into his presence, no assurance that God's going to answer them, not the way we do. Those who've trusted in Jesus, who've who've come to him in in faith and repentance, we get to come right into his presence. We have this promise that God accepts our prayers. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Confidence. Can you imagine? What an amazing promise that, that we get to call God our Father. That is, a, that is an amazing thing. And, and He promises us um, in, in Exodus 30, chapter six, or 30 verse 6, um, they were to put the altar right up beside the curtain, near the Ark of the Covenant. God says, where I will meet with you. This is similar to the the promise of the bread of the presence. God is saying, uh, when you pray, I'll be with you. I want to spend time with you. I'll listen. I'll be there. It's Revelation 3.20. Again, we we looked at um, the other week. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what does Jesus say? I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's easy to get discouraged, I think, when we pray. And we feel like this is pointless. We feel like maybe you're just talking to the ceiling. And and there are days maybe when God feels close and you have a sense of like, wow, God's really listening as I pray and that communion with him is sweet. And then there are days it just feels hollow. We just feel like nothing's happening. We don't always feel the presence of God when we pray. But we have these promises from God. And so regardless of how we feel, when we pray, God is with us, regardless of how we feel. It doesn't matter if how you feel. We know the truth that God is with us. Somehow it's easier to pray. I think sometimes you ever feel like you're just leaving God a voicemail, right? You're just kind of talking and hoping he'll get it later. Um, don't fall into that. Block out some time. Find a quiet place where you won't be disturbed. And, and pray as if God is actually listening to you speak because he is. He promises to be. I find it helpful. This is a trick that I use to remind myself of that. Uh, sometimes I just got to pray out loud. And I, I know God hears me when I pray in the quiet of my heart. He, he knows my heart. But this makes it more real for me. When I pray out loud and I can hear myself, it's this constant reminder that God hears me too. And so sometimes when I'm feeling that, I need to go find an extra quiet place so no one thinks I'm crazy or more crazy than they already thought I was. And and I just need to pray out loud. Sometimes I'll go for a walk. I'll go hide out in my bedroom, in my office. But one amazing thing that God commands us to pray, and then he accepts our prayers. But thirdly, God loves our prayers. And I know I left this to the end, but I think this is one of the main things that God is teaching by this altar of incense. This is where this 
it comes back to the idea of that favorite smell. I think one of the things we often overlook is the inside of the tabernacle and, and what that would have smelled like. You ever stop and think of that? What's going on in the tabernacle? Well, it's hot. There's not a whole lot of airflow in this tent. And every year they're to bring in blood from the sacrifice and, and sprinkle some of it on the altar of incense and, and onto the Ark of the Covenant. And imagine after three years or five years or 30 years what that would have begun to smell like. I don't think it was pleasant. And so the contrast of this incense would have been so welcome. I think the priests were like, yep, more incense. Bring it on. I'm not going in there unless we're lighting the incense. And that sweet aroma of the incense would have filled the tabernacle. And God himself says in in, in verse 7 that Aaron would burn a fragrant incense on the altar. It smelled beautiful. He's saying, I love the smell of incense like I love your prayers. My nose is filled with the aroma of your prayers. It brings me joy. So God doesn't just command you to pray. He commands it because he loves it. He commands it because he loves it. Proverbs 15.8 says, the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination, but the prayer of the righteous are acceptable. And, and I think that word acceptable is just a little bit flat. I think the ESV kind of missed it there. Uh, NIV does a little better. The, the prayer of the upright pleases him, but I think the NASB nails it. I think they get what that word is after. The prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves it. It delights him. God loves our prayers. He finds joy when you pray to Him. Your prayers rising up to Him are like the smell of fresh baked cookies in His nose. Like that crisp mountain air. When you you pray, God breathes in and smiles. Imagine that. God hears your voice and it's His delight. So why are we so slow to pray? Why are you so hesitant to come to Him? Why do we so often feel like we're bothering God when we pray? It must be some kind of interruption, right? Do you ever feel that way? I feel that way. God, God sorry, sorry to bother you. I'll try and keep this short. I don't want to be a nuisance, God. Does anybody know the, the first four words that we read from Satan in the Bible? What are the first four words that Satan says? Anybody? Did God really say? That's his go-to strategy. That's what he loves to put in your mind. Did God really say that he loved your prayers? Really? You think that's true? God says, I love it when you pray. And it's, Satan, who would have you think, don't bother God, don't disturb him. He's so important and powerful, he's really quite busy, he doesn't have time for you. But hear these words and believe them, don't ever doubt it, God loves it when you pray. And he's infinite in his ability, right? He can do everything, he's not stressed out or stretched by anything, and so he has no problem overseeing every little detail of this entire universe and making sure stars don't crash into each other while at the same time giving you his absolute undivided attention. So next time you get up in the morning and you think, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, uh, but you hit the snooze button again, you maybe, maybe later, I need a little more time in bed and it's warm here. I don't want to get up to pray or, you know, I should really stop what I'm doing here and just spend some time with God. I I don't think it's far off to imagine that that God is sitting in your living room or in your bedroom, wherever it is you would go to pray, and he's eager to meet with you. He's hoping this will be the morning that he'll come and, and join me, that she'll come and spend time with me. That he'll have that chance to delight in your prayers. That, that should motivate us. That should just draw us forward. Right? I mean, we love 
we love meeting with that friend that we know just loves us, right? You have the friend who's like, oh, I, we need to do coffee, and we haven't talked in so long. I'd love to catch up. I'd love to hear how you're doing. That, that motivates us, and God is the same way. He's saying, oh, I want to talk with you. I want us to get together. Not feeling guilty, not dragging our feet, but going to delight God by, by sacrificing our time, by sacrificing some sleep, by sacrificing our pride, coming to pour our heart out to Him, to just be with Him, knowing that not only does He hear you, but He loves to hear you. And there's one more piece to this puzzle. God commands our prayers and He accepts our prayers and He loves our prayers, but Jesus completes our prayers. After talking about prayer for half an hour, how many of you feel like, I am killing it. My prayer life is running at 100%, not a cylinder missing. Things are going great. This is, this is me. Um, I don't feel that way. <laughs> we fail at prayer. Let's just put it out there. We all fail at prayer. We, we don't live up to everything that God has called us to be. Some of us do better than others through different places in our, in our growth, but, but we all fail at prayer. Not one of us is where we should be. And Jesus completes what's lacking, even in our prayers. So the altar of incense was teaching God's people about prayer, and, and it was about their prayers rising up to God, and yet it was Aaron who was the high priest, and then all of the high priests that would come after him who took up that job, they were the ones who would go into the tabernacle and light the incense, and they would pray for the people. And when Jesus came, he was the new high priest, the fulfillment of the high priest, and he took on that role of praying for the people of Israel, being that representative before God. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, that's praying for us. So who's praying for us is Jesus who died and rose again. And where is he doing it? Right in the Holy of Holies, right in God's presence. He's the one who offered himself as the sacrifice for us, and now he stands in the presence of God in the holy place in heaven praying for us. Jesus is praying for you, pleading to God on your behalf. So Jesus is our great high priest, and Jesus prays for us. One place we see that is, is John 17. That's, it's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's this beautiful prayer from Jesus. I encourage you to go read that maybe this afternoon. There's, there's more there than we could cover right now. But Jesus didn't just pray once for his church and leave it at that. He prays day and night, consistently for his church. And maybe you have some doubt. Are my prayers heard when I pray? Am I praying according to God's will? But guess what? God definitely hears Jesus' prayers. He definitely hears Jesus' prayers. Hebrews 7, 23 says, the, the former priests, the ones that worked in the tabernacle and the temple, they were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that's Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession, to pray for them. So the, the priests in the old tabernacle, the temple, they came and went, they died and had to be replaced. But Jesus is a priest forever. Why? Because he died and rose again, never to die again. And he is able to completely save, to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Why? How? Because he's praying for them. 
Jesus is in heaven right now praying for you, asking God for everything you need to to complete your salvation. And he will be answered. You feel like your prayers are lacking. You feel like you should be praying more. You feel like you're not praying about the right things. You feel like they're lacking and misguided. They are lacking and misguided. But Jesus perfectly, completely makes up what is lacking. And because of his prayers, we'll have everything we need. So yes, pray more. Try to grow in obedience to that command to pray without ceasing and and grow in our understanding that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God accepts your prayers. Learn to come to God knowing that, that he loves your prayers, that he delights to hear you pray. And in every way that you fall short, rest in Jesus. He completes your prayer. He fills up and covers over everything that's lacking. And and if you're his, he prays for you. And, And his prayers will bring you safely, completely, through this broken world, through the battle of, of, of temptation and sin that you're walking in right now, through all the way to his glorious presence. That's the confident hope that we have in him. So I want to invite you just to take a minute, turn in your Bible to Psalm 63. Um, Matt, I didn't give you any warning. I don't know if you can put Psalm 63 up on the back in that kind of pressure, um, but it's in your Bible. Psalms is right there, dead in the middle, Psalm 63. And, and just take a few minutes and let's spend some time with God just right here, right now. And just look at those first few verses and take your time as you read through them and just pray. Whatever that brings to mind for you, maybe it's, maybe it's you're able to, to, to pray these words to God and, and rejoice in, in seeing that in your heart. Maybe you need to confess to God, God, I don't feel this right now and I want to. But let's just take a few minutes right now and, uh, and just quietly pray through these verses and, and I will close us in prayer after a couple of minutes. Psalm Worship team, why don't you come? Oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. Our soul thirsts for you, God. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, there's nothing in this world that satisfies We've run after all kinds of other things and nothing fills that but you. So God, we long for you. We earnestly seek you. Help us, God, to seek you as we should. Lord, for those who don't have that longing for you, would you give that to them? Would you grow that in them? So I've looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. God, even now as we've looked into your word, 
and the wonder of the tabernacle as we've sung your praises together. We've seen your glory. And God, it's both satisfied us and made us hungry for more. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. God, we just want to worship you. You are so good. You're so loving and so glorious. And my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Lord, satisfy us in you. Help us to feel that, that sense of, of awe and wonder in who you are to find everything we need in you. When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and your shadow of your wing I will sing for joy. God, help us to seek you day and night, to come to you in prayer as a regular offering before the Lord, to spend time enjoying you. Lord, forgive us for how many times we've come to you and just rattled off a grocery list of things and not spent time with you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who'd, who both come to you in, in need with specific requests and lay them before you, but also who come just to be with you. Help us to know how to do that well. Give us the discipline to make those sacrifices. My soul clings to you for your right hand upholds me. God, thank you so much that your right hand upholds us. We are so weak. Lord, you know how we all fail at seeking you as we should, and you uphold us. Thank you that Jesus prays for us and prays all of the things that we don't even know to pray and that we can have confidence in him as he prays for us. God, we... We ask that you would hear his prayers, that you would answer them in our lives, that we would be growing more like you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this gift of prayer. Thank you that you welcome us into your presence when we don't deserve it. Help us to know in our hearts that you not only command prayer, but that you accept our prayers and you love our prayers and that would drive us to be uh, a people of prayer. Oh God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.